Musaki. That's the artist's name. She has a real name. I wonder who knows what Msaki's real name is. I'm talking about Home Affairs name now. If you know who Msaki is by name, let us know on 086-000-2032. That's the number to dial. Alternatively, send us a WhatsApp, either a voice note or a text, ideally a text because it's that much more accessible and very quickly too, 0614-104-107. Of course, that song that you heard was Msaki, Born in a Taxi. The question is, just as a short little brain teaser, what is Msaki's real name? People from the Eastern Cape, people from Gauteng, where she spent a lot of her time, certainly will know this, or should, or I'm anticipating. Nonetheless, the conversation continues here on SAFM. We are into the second hour. The time is 21.12, and our guest now is Professor Zetungo Sidin of the College of Human Sciences. The conversation is UNISA's Decoloniality Summer School, DSS. Now, the College of Human Sciences at UNISA is celebrating this year 10 years since hosting its inaugural Decoloniality Summer School in 2014, the first of its kind on the continent, I understand. UNISA's 10th anniversary in the DSS is currently underway until the 19th of January, end of this week, 2024. And it is a key moment to reflect on the successes, challenges, and limitations of the Summer School in achieving its ultimate objective of decolonizing power, knowledge, and being. Some heavy things as now decoloniality becomes prevalent in Africa and picking up momentum, particularly in spaces of higher education. Certain key questions do remain and continue to be asked, among those being, has sufficient practical expression been given to the modalities of decoloniality? decoloniality has there been learning and unlearning in order to relearn have we promoted or has there been a promotion of the principles of interculturality pluriversatility and border thinking in knowledge production and dissemination what becomes true in this context of African indigenous knowledge systems and epistemologies that define and speak to who we are. All of these questions are relevant. Some have been answered, some are being pondered, and some are beginning to yield something. Professor Zetungosi can share all of that in this segment. And you at home as well, please participate. If we're talking about decolonizing anything, 2014, remember what happened in 2015 when the four lists at universities across the country were front and center at this time nine years ago. Prof. Zetungosi, good evening. Thank you so much for joining us. Good evening, sir, and thank you very much for inviting me to engage on this topic. Ten years ago, you launched something at UNISA that you had ideas of how it perhaps might pan out. Take us back in time, 10 years ago to now, where these things are now getting the necessary signatures and the launches are taking place, and it's pretty much the push for where now you have to fly. Give an account of the last 10 years, starting back in 2014 and the successes, trials, and tribulations. Yes. The Deconalic Summer School started in 2014 under the leadership of Rosemary Mukherjee when she was approached by a group of young African scholars on African uh, decolonial research network, 
which led the team to travel to Barcelona to attend the summer school to learn on what is meant by decoloniality. In 2014, UNISA College of Human Sciences started the first decoloniality summer school in the continent where we looked into power, knowledge, and identity. The questions were how power relates to the generation of knowledge, who generates knowledge based on which truth and the identity of that human being. Then along the lines, we've had this uh, summer school annually where we bring uh, different scholars from the continent and also other continents to share with the young scholars and also the decoloniality scholars on going deep into what we mean about decolonizing our curriculum, what is meant by Africanization, what approaches can be taken to ensure that we rediscover, restore our indigenous knowledges. So if we go back, okay. No, 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 if you go back, yeah, go on. Yeah, no, I'm saying if you go back and uh, and read on uh, Paul Freya, where he was saying the pedagogy of the oppressed, you know. He really encouraged us to look into the generation of knowledge as the relationship between a teacher and a student, where uh, you don't only deposit knowledge, but you engage in a space where the student can also learn. So we learned from creating problems and allowing students uh, to come up with solutions. So we took that um, student-centric mode as one of our modalities when we design our study material. We looked also deep into the languages that we use in uh, teaching our students because we believe also that language is important for the generation of knowledge and also for the understanding of the context Mm. where the person is moving on. And, okay. May I engage why the trip to Barcelona was necessary or what underpinned that trip? Barcelona, Spain, we know the Spanish colonial context and project, particularly in South America and Latin America, because the pedagogy of the oppressed is a book by a Brazilian educator. Now, Paulo Freire was a Brazilian, 66, 67, 68, thereabout, when it was first published in Portuguese even. I, I, I want to understand the input or the, um, the, the, the influence, if you will, of this book and these works, as well as Barcelona, against the context of colonial projects of, for instance, Spain, which is then in part used to influence an African decoloniality project? At the time, it was uh, the only summer school that was in existence where scholars were engaging on decoloniality. And also when you look into the Spanish context and also the South African context, you will find some similarities on where the black man is um, not recognized, you know, his knowledge not recognized because remember 
the Franz Fanon's, the Louis Godin, and all the colonial scholars, they stem from the South American context. So this 2013 the summer school, it was just a space where UNISA team wanted to learn on how um, the other scholars engage on decoloniality. It was not that maybe there was something uh, unique. It was at the time where UNISA wanted to learn more about uh, decoloniality summer school and Brazil was offering it at the time, which prompted the dean at the time, Prof Mokezi, to take a group of young scholars to say, let me go and learn because also they also went to Senegal for Kodesra because Kodesra is our council of science and social humanities where colleagues will learn on how do we ensure that social sciences and humanities, they bring light to our African research. I'm in conversation with Professor Zetungosi from UNISA. She is the Dean of the College of Human Sciences. We're talking about the 10th anniversary that is now being celebrated by the university and that college, specifically on the Decoloniality Summer School, DSS for short, that started way back in 2014. Plenty of questions to engage on this matter, and I suppose the open question for you at home to perhaps consider, if not per on, is the decolonization project in South Africa, what of it would you like to see more of or less of? How much of that project, and you can name anything in the context of, if anything, entrenching our own unique African identity, what would you like to see more or less of? Or if you are seeing it, it's a question of how it is delivered, what would it be? In other words, if you were in audience with Professor Zetungose, what might you say to entrench the decolonization project, which becomes an ongoing project? for a post-colonial society. After the break, we continue. And the, con- the conversation continues with Professor Zetungosi, who's the Dean of College of Human Sciences at UNISA, talking to us all things DSS, Decoloniality Summer School. Prof, let's have a conversation about what 2024 DSS will explore, the range of issues that are now being talked about or are relevant for South Africa and I suppose in the broader context of those societies who are post-colonial, what should then be uppermost and foremost in the thinking and practice in the context of decolonization nowadays? Yes. For this summer school, we are looking into black existentialism and then saying how can we decolonize uh, the knowledge and also we're looking into geopolitics of um, ignorance. We know the impact of COVID-19, that it opened up and wanted people to share and understand on COVID-19 affecting everyone, but then we had to deal with it in our context. And the fears of Black consciousness. We also revisit Steve Biko as Black consciousness who really led Africans into realizing that black people have got a voice and we are all we seem to be cutting there prof I beg your pardon we're just going to ask the technical team to attend to that it's a pity that what does it mean for South Africa what does it mean for global south does anything that is happening now in the political sphere have any impact and bearing 
And I don't imagine what we saw last week. It was South Africa's day of days, an international diplomacy, an international legal and human rights fight when we saw what played out before the ICJ. Certainly, South Africa, in many respects, was the toast of town. Naturally, when that happens, you will have your detractors, detractors, and there have been. But as, as, as a nation continues to grapple in part with its past, as it continues to shape its society for a future that everybody can hopefully be a part of, certain things will happen right, certain things will not happen right. There are many people who will be collaborated or corroborated in the journey. Many would be lost along the way. And so we are engaging now DSS 10 years on in terms of what has it achieved in the last 10 years, but specifically 10 years on, what is its focus on and how has the evolution of the institution or the summer school specifically perhaps spoken to some of these core issues that the world is now debating in social media and in mainstream media. Prof, you are back, I understand, and I certainly hope that your line is better now. But I was engaging the listeners for the purposes of just trying to effectively take further some of the submissions that you have raised as to now that we are 10 years in, there are certain things that we know have the propensity to work and there are certain things that perhaps do not have the kind of propensity that perhaps 10 years ago it would have been thought it would work. Some of the things that now are going to inform the 2024 program and beyond. You had spoken partially to the 2024 program. Perhaps you can move into the beyond conversation part. Okay, yes. Then with the language policy implementation, um, the Minister of Edu- Her Education is very vocal on um, how we need to implement it. So as According to summer school, we are moving forward with ensuring that we are leaders in ensuring that all church languages are being used in dissemination of knowledge. That is number one. Number two, we are saying now action. Let's not talk. Let us write books in our African languages where knowledge will be created in the spaces where it generates from. And then thirdly, let us embrace our indigenous knowledge system because with colonization, we were deemed useless, we dehumanized. Our knowledge was not uh, accepted as the knowledge. So we are bringing back, we are going back to the communities and engaging communities in telling us exactly what needs to be done because we need to have a curriculum that is decolonized that is relevant, that will respond to the needs of our communities. So we've started with our some of the programs that are taught in our African languages, and also we engage our scholars to go to spaces where there will be freedom of engagement, where all knowledge is accepted, and also people are appreciated of generating knowledge that will be in line with how communities view and sustain it. Share with us then in that context, please, part of the program for DSS 2024. We've got an honours program that is called uh, the Coloniality Honours Module that is taught amongst all honours students in the College of Human Sciences. It's open it brings students where they will discuss from their lens 
and the lecturer engage with them in a manner that is being designed by students. So it's called CHS 4801. It's an honor to colonial module. That is number one. Number two, we've got the decolonizing reading salon where students and academics are having open forums where they engage on decolonizing matters monthly basis. We are trying to implement and engage scholars to discuss openly on how can we improve in how knowledge is generated in the country. We have also embarked on a decolonial journal because we picked that some um, journals don't understand the decoloniality lens. So as the College of Human Sciences at Genesa, we are now uh, working on a journal that we really appreciate on decolonial authors. Even our research now, we are moving into equal spaces where a student is allowed to bring his or her topic and the lecturer or the professor needs to guide the student in how many uh, knowledge needs to be generated. It's not now like a topic of do this, do this. We allow the African lens to go into spaces where a student is a leader and then the academics are guiders and supporters of that knowledge. We are going to oral histories because we have realized that we have left this space for too long. We are bringing in our oral orators to tell us exactly how they did things in the Calabash way, how meetings were held, communities, how were they engaged. We are moving in the space where we allow all the voices to be important and to influence on how uh, we engage with communities in an African way, in a transformed way, so that it will assist us on decolonizing the curriculum. Let me ask this question, and it's on behalf of the listener. I think it's a fantastic question because it really does speak to parts of what I was also engaging in a political context. The question is, how does a theoretical framework that critiques and seeks to undo the legacies of colonialism, addressing power imbalances and promoting cultural diversity, differ from the broader political process of gaining independence from colonial rule? I, I, I think I'm hearing him to say, how would state and political programs be different ultimately to the work of DSS. And to the extent that there are similarities, then where would those similarities be or the overlap be for, if you will, a more fast-tracked pace as to this decisive break from the vestiges of such colonialism? Remember, with the theoretical framework, when you are doing your research, you are not bound to take on what is available. You design your own. You engage uh, your students in designing their own uh, theoretical framework, read a lot, and generate new knowledge. That is one way of moving away for, from colonial styles. And also, you go to communities, and then you generate knowledge from the communities, and that findings will form, will assist you in designing the, your own theoretical framework, which talks to the context where you are based in. We are moving away from that. You are 
bringing in new knowledge that is generated from communities where we work with. So it's a shift that is being um, developed and that is generated by this decoloniality uh, where people are in spaces that talks to their realities. If I may, and this is not a critique to say in any way you should reconsider, but here is what I would have as a reservation if I was engaging this potentially as a scholar from what I have heard you say, and perhaps conceding even that I haven't extensively engaged the course offering. I did not get a strong African influence from what informs DSS, both as a program and in terms of philosophy. I I have not heard coming strongly, if at all, the post-colonial project as has been undertaken by those post-colonial societies where they have succeeded, or for instance, an engagement as to precisely how it is that Ethiopia was able, as the only African country, not to be at all colonized, and the value behind a society that has never had to decolonize, for it never was colonized. The political protagonists, in part to bring in some of the quest, the point that the message came through, I mean, how different is it from a political context? Because in part, I would assume or imagine there is a bit of a political project that has to be infused, yet that is beyond the theoretical framework. I could be wrong, but if it is, for instance, you have a Tabombeki who is the father of African Renaissance in many respects, certainly in the latter day. You have his political predecessors, for instance, Abu Kwabin Kruma, um, W.E. Du Bois, and, and many others who could speak and have spoken to and have written and have done political programs at that level all around the emancipation of the black person. That has not come through. And if it is there somehow, perhaps I'm giving you now an opportunity perhaps to settle that anxiety, if I can refer to it as an anxiety. That's the one point, please, I would like you to respond to, Professor um, Gorsi, because I also have a caller on the line, and I would love for the caller to also participate in the conversation. It's Ndate Wili from Kuma talking about the decolonizing of the education system or education curricula. Ndate Wili. So the, the, the concept itself, is, to me, is inevitably mind-boggling because my understanding is that your, your guess means that if one item is decolonized, it means, does it mean that all Western life that we are, we are heading now, Sorry, Ndate Willi, I, I don't know if the guest can hear you, but I'm certainly struggling to hear you. May I please ask you to do a retake on your question and perhaps speak closer to your microphone? Okay, can you hear me now? Yeah, much better. That's right, yes. So my question is, for, 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 for us to decolonize, does it mean that we decolonize everything, such as language, you see, um, Western life that we are we are living at this point in time, and then we go back to our original kind of life of our ancestors. Everything changes that was made by the colonists. 
Okay, yeah. I get you. I get you. Prof Ngosi, yeah. it, 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 I mean, I, I would... Yeah, I, I, I would struggle to accept the proposition that decolonization takes us back to the 1800s or the 1700s, as the case may be, because there is certainly room for evolution. There is room for multiculturalism in a society. And if it is reflective of one culture over another, it perhaps comes with the territory, but certainly not because it has come at the expense of a culture. I would imagine decolonization is probably more true in that regard than simply rewinding the clock in time and say, take us back to where there was no decolonization because it doesn't speak to progress, it doesn't speak to development, it doesn't speak to evolution. I'm not saying that to discount what Undade Willing in, in Kuma has said, but perhaps in part to disagree as opposed to discount what he's saying. Thanks. Uh, what I can say to the caller is that we are not uh, saying Western knowledge is dead. We are here to say, let us rediscover and restore indigenous knowledge. And we are looking at our cultural values. We are looking at the good that was discarded as bad. We are saying even if you are coming from any context, allow people to hear you. And at the end of the day, we make good out of that is being uh, discussed because whatever that has been done was seen as inferior if it was coming from a certain racial group. Also, gender issues here are being discussed where you find that there was a patriarchy, women were not recognized. We say, let us look into the good that come out of our uh, existence. We are looking into languages where we forgo our languages. We are saying, let's go back and use our languages. Let us write books in our own languages because at the end, we are going to be extinct. And what a nation is regarded if it does not have the language. We are not saying we are discarding every day. We are restoring what has been lost. Talking about languages, I would imagine there are many partners, even in the South African context, and not just limited to the South African context that you could work with. Arts and Culture, Heritage Council, and those sorts of spaces, how much of a stakehold do they have here? How much of a stake, rather, do they have, and how much of a stakeholder are they? And especially the Pan-South African Languages Board talking about using our languages in the country to document how, how much of their programs are part of your programs, if not in the formal sense through curriculum, but certainly through the programs throughout the year and for the last 10 years that you have worked together on? Yes, we've got such a good partnership with Tanslab, with Department of Arts and Culture, with Sadila, who have also partnered with Africa, with Kimitia, where we are taking our languages, African languages, into uh, Wikipedia, so we are translating. It's such a, a very huge uh, project that we are working with, and we are also partnering with our international, national, continental um, partners who are really supporting our language project. It's such a very um, huge uh, engagement, as you know that which UNESA we need to attend all 12 languages. We have started where even our exams are written in 
several languages. It's a work in progress. Uh, we allow our students to read the exam paper in their language, but not all uh, modules. It's in our college, it's only first year modules where we do even our glossaries in all five or more languages. We are really working hard on ensuring that students have got access to their mother tongue language. But we still only the 12 South African languages. We are also going strong on sign language because it's one of the um, languages of communication. Let's talk 10 years from now. What will you, because then it will be 20 years since DSS would have been established, what would we be celebrating then? And what would, in an ideal sense, be the outlook of the broader decolonization project in South Africa? We want to go nationally with a CHS decolonial summer school. Uh, currently, we've got UKZN and UCT having their own uh, decolonial summer school. We want to go national and make sure that 26 um, universities are part of the quality summer school projects where we talk in one voice as university in South Africa. That is one plan. The second one is to increase our footprint because um, we are looking into writing articles, writing books. We have already started with books and articles, but we want to increase the space because we've got limited decolonial scholars. And also in the research field, we need to engage and do more research where we bring in more African scholars. We also mentor young scholars to really understand on decoloniality we engage. There is a plan for the School of Decoloniality. It's still in the pipeline because we want to have focus on uh, decoloniality. Remember, Ella Honor said we've got one honors module. We want to have even modules as undergrad where students will understand the core business of understanding Africanization at a lower level and then we move on. The bigger one is to have our programs offered in all African languages. Let's take a call. Let's go to King Williamstown at on Zoe. Good evening. Thank you so much for joining us. Good evening, Are you okay? Bye, go. I'm going to go. How's the feeling? I'm going to say, 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 I'm when we talk about decoloniality, uh, my, 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 my anxiety is that we need to be careful uh, as to what it is that we need to throw away and we need to sift through and have a sieve as to what it is that we need to throw away. I have had people uh, looking at Shakespeare as a coloniality, something like that. So for me, I value a work of, of, of such great as Shakespeare as immortal. So for me, if he was a humanist rather than a colonialist, so I want to know if your guest feels that uh, to do away with the works of, of Shakespeare, uh, will, will that be part of the coloniality? And perhaps to broaden your 
question or your point is, what exactly should not be thrown out with the bathwater? In other words, how can we ensure we retain what works, not necessarily in the name of colonization or subjugation, but in the context of development as a society? Here is something that... In other words, there can be two truths at the same time. This is something which is a legacy, but it works and it serves our purpose. And what is no longer relevant and and is part of the problem, that which now we must jettison. I think that's the point ultimately you are raising there. Zoe, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Let's give an opportunity to the guests to reply. Prof? Yes, I, I, I think we don't throw what is working uh, to the corner. We look into what is working and then we retain it. The issue is that whatever we brought to the plate, it was discarded as inferior. We are saying, listen to us, hear us. This is where we're coming from. But as a country, as a continent, we want to move forward and say, acknowledge our indigenous knowledge. Let's work together. I come with this. You bring this. Let us modify and make sure that the source of knowledge comes from the person who understands it better. We're looking here at the context of where knowledge is generated. We are looking at Whose truth are we talking about when people are discussing issues? So we're allowing that uh, exchange of information. But we're not saying discard what is working. Let's move on. What are those that are working? What are those that are not working? I mean, if we're talking about becoming a truly post-colonial society because we have now made that decisive break. In other words, part of the present-day failures will not be attributed to colonization or to apartheid. What does that look like? What are we trying to rid ourselves of? Or if that is a political question that is better placed before administrators, what then are the questions that should be put to the administrators by the scholars or the propositions that are advanced by the scholars to the administrators to think because they are in the environment of ventilating these issues through contested thought? May I give an example mm-hmm. of um, health issues? Okay. Okay. Please. With, with health issues, I can give you one simple example like Ugukuma. I don't know whether we understand the name Ugukuma. Steaming. Yes, yes. Yes, one example is Ugukuma. It's steaming. It's something that was used for several uh, years. It's working. But then when now you look it. It's like sauna, uh, this is unhealthy, this is it's not right. We say, no, we've been using this thing for a couple of years. Allow us to continue using it because it's what our communities know. Don't discard it and say, no, it's high temperature, it's what, because it's the same thing that you are using when you are using sauna and steam. So we want Excellent to to use such uh, examples. Have that you take from your garden, you mix it and you give it, it's herbs that are helping you. So we are saying, allow us, let's go and ask those old ladies, what did you use to make sure that you 
give it diarrhea. No, 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 it's unhealthy, use emodium. No, allow us to preserve that knowledge and share with our generation. Let me... Giving birth, the shape, how you sleep, how you lie. No, cesarean section. No, let's go natural. Let's bring all these people who've got knowledge and we document all this knowledge and we share with our communities. Simple things like that. You know, last night, ma'am, and just for those of you who are participating in this conversation and wondering what happened to the Global Watch story, I can confirm that the producer is trying to get hold of the designated guest for this conversation. Uzoi actually proposed a great segue here. What do we get rid of? What do we not get rid of? And, and, and you, Prof, speak well of, for instance, how healthcare perhaps can be adjusted or presented differently. It is important to engage that because one of the things that you are almost inevitably going to be met with, and your anecdotes gave me that sort of impression, was the doubt, the the, the, the lack of respect to it, that thing that you propose as an indigenous way of health care versus what we have now come to accept and appreciate as healthcare. In other words, the formalized hospital and clinical route that requires qualifications and belonging to a body. That is one way of healthcare. But if you're talking about the decolonization project, it's to use things that worked then on the bodies that are still ours now to have a health intervention that is practical, realizable, and importantly, cheap. After the break, I'll have your final comments on that. In other words, making this thing accessible and having the necessary respect attached to it as a genuine, decent, and credible alternative to what the mainstream would feed. Final comment on that. Yeah. My final comment is that um, let's bring back the indigenous knowledge system. Let's go back to our um, cultures. Let's Africanize whatever is working from the Western epistemology, we walk along with it. Let's refine what has been um, we have been exposed to. So I want us to go back and look at what worked, and then we move uh, forward with it because it's how we are going to restore our uh, dignity and also generate a, a more knowledge that is really relevant and appropriate to our communities. So that's where I am. Simple things, walking long distances helped us to improve our health system. Nowadays we are transport. We are exposed in so many uh, diseases because of being a uh, It's one example of one thing that we need to retain. Uh, using our African languages among our uh, kids. It's something that is important that we have lost and also writing our own uh, books and getting information from our oral histories. It's something that is very profound that should assist us to go back and reclaim our heritage. Here's what I would like, if I may summarize parts of what you have said in this conversation, and and, and specifically using examples that you have used. 
We've got access to the Pan-South African Languages Board. We've got access to oral history and the value of storytelling, particularly from one generation to the next. We've got a healthcare crisis in South Africa. We are faced with serious backlog in public healthcare. We've got advocacy challenges insofar as communicating a government message or an institutional message to the community who ought to be getting that message for better open, close quote, clinical outcomes or better healthcare outcomes. What role can the DSS play in that? They could engage communities, first of all, in community languages, in community ways and systems that are inherent to that community, not foreign to that community. Take, for instance, I mean, you've mentioned healthcare. The value of Isnook, I don't know how familiar you are with Potts and Johns. There, There is... It's in scientific terms, it's sulfur flowing from the earth, almost like a, a, a bubble bath um, or a, a sprinkler system coming from within the earth. It just comes out. Isnuga, it's called Isnuga. The water there has got some genuine healthcare properties. In fact, I was having this conversation with locals of that part of the world from Ports and Johns. They say that when we are not well, we go to Isnuga. We dip in that water there. Our problems, as certainly healthcare problems, disappear for some or some seriously mitigated. I have been to a snooker. I once badly sprained an ankle. I thought I'd broken it for a year and a half. I was walking with a limp and I felt it all of winter. Took a dip there in September 2020. I forgot about my ankle. Now, how do we position something like a snooker? not just as a healthcare alternative, but something that speaks to our identity as a people where all of our needs were met through and by land, what nature had provided. It is that thinking, it is that conscientization, I believe, or I think in part would help with parts of the decolonization project. The question is, why do we not arrange so effectively to achieve that? the resources at our disposal. Is this a question that bothers DSS or DSS is engaging to have met? I'm thinking out loud again. That's my final comment and question, ma'am. Thanks. Your summary really um, provoked me, and uh, thank you for that. Uh, Just for storytelling, we are... archiving uh, knowledge. We are having projects with communities, different languages, where we are seeing, uh, we are having oral history projects where we are archiving it for future generations. So that is well in the pipeline. And for the one at Port St. John's, it will be working progress. We've got a team that is working with the community there. But uh, thank you very much for highlighting it. But it's true that as DSS, we need to engage our communities, which is something that is happening. As it's not the currency as such; it's a mandate from the university to work with communities under engagement, which is engaged scholarship. So those uh, projects are continuing with um, uh, communities. So thank you very much for alerting us. And some you have mentioned it's happening, and then others we are going to take stock of it because it's um, 
like low-hanging fruit that can be uh, engaged by the summer school to expand its um, relevance and footprint. Thank you very much, sir. Well, very well. Thank you. Thank you very much yourself, Professor Zetungosi, Dean of the College of Human Sciences, for your time and your indulgence. It is a pity that we were not able to have the full allotment of time with the guest who should have come in after you, but thank you for being so gracious to indulge us further with your time. That, ladies and gentlemen, was Professor Zetungosi, Dean of the College of Human Sciences at UNISA.